is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some free eBooks and drills and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, listen to The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, including some episodes on breakups and relationship management. That's where all the basics are, so get a handle on that first. We've got boot camps running every single month here in Hollywood, California. Details on those at theartofcharm.com. Looking forward to meeting all you guys here at AOC. All right, today we're talking with Michael O'Neill of the Solopreneur Hour, and we talk about how his parents falling ill changed his whole life financially and emotionally, as well as billionaire mentorship, and sometimes the best advice isn't about business at all, how to be dead broke and happy at the same time, why trading time for money is a losing strategy for many slash most of us, and the three pillars of freedom, time freedom, location freedom, and financial freedom, as well as the sexy six books that will change your life. Last but not least, how to avoid over-preparation as a substitute for action, failing forward faster, and why taking action separates the haves from the never-will-bes. And of course, we wrap with a fashion tip from Aaron Marino. Enjoy. Tell us about what happened five years ago. How did this journey start? I mean, you were an early web adopter guy. While I was popping my first zits, you were making (laughs) web pages. That's right. Uh, 1994 is when I started designing and developing websites. I had the right kind of ADD that allowed me to um, be very focused and calm during sort of panic situations. In fact, I was told once by a counselor that I'd make a good fighter pilot. And I guess because they have to juggle 19 things at one time and not focus on one too hard. Otherwise, they'll get shot by something. (laughs) Right. Okay. So that's a polite way of being like, you're really ADD. Hmm, What are ADD people good at? And you have good vision. So you should be a fighter pilot. That's right. A 2015 vision and totally ADD. You should be a fighter pilot. Um, And so I kind of wanted to be like a a director or something or a producer. So something where I could have a lot of input. Have you ever seen the guy that does the direction for uh, Monday night football games? No. Have you ever seen behind the scenes? Maybe. Yeah. As as like a kid. It's crazy because they are, this guy's in a trailer. They've got something like 18 cameras set up for a Monday night football game, including replays and commercials and, you know, from sideline, all that stuff. And so you see this guy from, you know, 7 p.m. until whatever it is, 1030. Uh, and he is like, camera four, take four, camera three, take three, pull in, blah, blah, blah. And he's just going. He's in this chair with headphones on and he's just pointing. He's got 18 screens in front of him and he's just pointing and pulling and replays. And it is like this constant three hour thing where he's just banging away. And finally, they hit rap, and he just collapses, and the entire 
you know, trailer, everyone claps and stuff. It's a really cool thing to watch. Um, it was on Discovery Channel. But that's, I was like, oh, I'd be really good at that. I'm good at that kind of thing. Like when everything's going down, I'm good at kind of going, okay, let's just, we'll sort this thing right out and everything will be fine while everyone's freaking out. So the web thing for me brought media. So it brought like all kinds of different radio and TV and video and, you know, print and web and everything kind of smushed together into this one format. And it was fascinating to me. So I really dug into it. And that was what I thought I would do the whole rest of my life. That was kind of my, my gig. Excellent. And so right now you're like, you've got the car thing, you've got the, the marketing thing. Right now you're running a show called The Solopreneur Hour. I was on it, the, therefore it's, it's great. Um, <laughs> must and, be great. Right, must be really solid. And your mission is to what? Help people quit their jobs because working for the man is, is a waste of your potential? I mean, what's that all about? My, my tagline is job security for the unemployable. And what happens is... If you miss that fighter pilot gig, that is. Exactly. What happens is when someone starts getting the itch, and not that weird itch you need powder for, but the itch to go off and do your own thing, and they start reading some of the books, you know, they, they maybe start reading a little Robert Kiyosaki and a little bit of Tim Ferriss and a little bit of, you know, Michael Gerber, and all of a sudden they know too much. And it's really, really hard to go clock in and work for this middle manager anymore once you've learned kind of what it looks like on the other side. A perfect example is, let's say you were working at a corporate gig and for, you know, your boss came in and said, hey, for the next three weeks, I need you to go work on a beach in Bali with an iPad. And you okay, that sounds like a good thing. And you, <laughs> yeah. go, you go do that. Yeah. How easy do you think it would be to go back to your stuffy cube after living in Bali for three weeks and working on an iPad. It yeah, it depends how much beach sand you can fit in your bag. That's right. So my listeners are people that maybe haven't experienced firsthand what that feels like, but it's in their brain, and they've maybe surrounded themselves with some people that have lived like that. So they think, wait a second. I see this person. They put their pants on the same way I do. I can totally do what they're doing. Why am I still working at this awful gig that I hate? Right. And right. that's kind of who I speak to. I think also there's an element of, and this is what I went through when I was working on Wall Street, which is, man, I am the worst employee. It's only a matter of time till I get fired because I don't like any of this. This seems totally pointless. <laughs> I hate your people. I hate this job. Yeah. It's what is that movie where the guy, he gets fired from the fast food place and he's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you. <laughs> yes, and yes, fuck yes. you. Yeah. What, what is I that forget. movie? What is that movie? By the way, you've just keyed, in, keyed me in on the fact that this is an explicit podcast. Thank you for that. There you go. Good. Now I know. Now I can say awful things all day. There you go. Um, I don't know, but I do remember that scene. I like the fact that he was like, and you're okay, and fuck you too. Like, that was great. But yes, that's exactly the kind of person that I think ends up listening to my show. And inevitably, I have these people on, and I sort of speak to them between that time that they became unemployable to what they did to become successful. It's half-baked. That was the half movie. Half-baked is right. That's right. Then he just went home and smoked weed the whole time. Still waiting on that heifer, Julio. <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. And fuck you, I'm out. <laughs> to answer your first question... I was a web guy for a long time, and that's kind of what I thought I was going to do. I was a freelancer for a while, working you know, from the couch, and I was recruited by a Fortune 500 company to be their creative director. And it was like this big, long process to 
get hired by them. And I didn't really want the job that much because I was doing well as a freelancer. And um, I, I remember this is the, the probably the first and last time this has been uttered in the history of corporate America, which was I asked for something like, I don't know, 90 grand a year, which was way more than I'd ever been paid before, probably by 30 or 40,000. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we know you asked for this much, but we're going to pay you this much. And they actually paid me over six figures plus bonuses. I'm like, I think that's the first time in history that a corporation's been like, we're going to pay you higher than you asked for. I don't know why they would do that, but they did. They were a startup. I think they liked the work I was putting out and they wanted me to feel really secure and like part of the team. Probably didn't want you to bounce because as soon as you found out you were making less than market. Yeah. So it's really crazy. It was really an odd situation to me. And so I went to work for them. It was a killer little startup. I was like employee number 68. They were invested in for like $121 million or something like that. And it, the whole entire corporation, it turned into like a corporate gig where there was a board of directors and it, it was, everything was different. Sounds really inflexible. It was awful, actually. We went from having those cool little sort of keg and foosball parties on Fridays to uh, having to do company meetings where you had to have notes and minutes and things like that. So it was not for me. But I clocked out of there probably six months after I started and after that all happened. And then finally, another six months happened. I was there for about a year before we both were like, yeah, I think we're good. And okay, we'll see you later. Got a little severance, was out. And then that's kind of when things really changed for me because I was still an employee, right? And I was a well-paid employee. I had a house and I had a couple of cars and I was living a cool life in Boulder, Colorado. And then both of my parents got very sick. My dad had a sort of a four-year battle with congestive heart failure. Mm. And finally, he passed away. And then my mom, surprisingly, passed away seven months later. So I had this real devastation from a family standpoint. Dad was not a huge surprise. Mom was a gigantic surprise. What happened with her? You know, it was sort of half like the notebook where, you, you know, one spouse dies and the other one goes a few months later. And half, she had a rare kidney disorder. And I kept thinking if I had house MD, I, I swear it was environmental because they had moved into a place that was a little weird and it was sort of under construction. And I don't know, and it was right on the Florida coast, so there's probably some weird stuff going on in there. And I have no idea, but I felt like I needed house MD to, to help diagnose my parents. Oof. But he was not around. So that was devastating on a number of levels, it, emotionally, obviously, um, but it was actually financially really devastating to me because my life was four years of this. My mom, uh, mom falls and breaks her hip, needs 24 days of rehab, insurance pays for 10. It's $2,000 a day. Oh my goodness. That was sort of where the Sophie's Choice started coming for me for a few years. And before I knew it, house was foreclosed, cars were gone, 401k was empty, all the other were I mean, I was literally dead broke. And I had sort of tried to muddle through in 2008 uh, with very little success. And I ended up meeting a guy that I was hoping would be sort of a mentor slash employer. He was a billionaire with a B. That's the best kind. Yeah. I walked into his place and on on the wall on the left-hand side was him with Carter, him with Reagan, him with Bush, him with Clinton, him with Bush. So that was like the five or six pictures that were up on his wall. And I said, who is this guy? And it basically, the long, long, long story short of him was he basically patented, every time you turn a TV on, it goes to a satellite and comes back down, he gets some money from that. Insanity. So, so it's infrastructure money. You know, it's big, 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 big infrastructure money. And so he said something to me that was so profound and it would send me down this path. And what's so crazy, he doesn't even know this. 
He doesn't even know where I am now and what I'm doing. I've tried to reach out to him a couple times and I've had no luck because yeah. he's really he's really under the radar kind of guy. Yeah, well, he's a billionaire with a B. Yeah, and he's not a guy wow. who's ostentatious about it. Like you can't even if you Google him, it, it I think one document that was like a legal case shows up and it's it has nothing. I mean, otherwise he's completely invisible. And so he said, you know, Michael, I want to help you. And he said, but you've had so much chaos in your life for the last four years that you haven't even had a chance to mourn. And that is true. It hadn't even dawned in me. I was sitting on this guy's couch. He says this to me and I lose it for the first time since my parents had died. I completely broke down because it was like, oh yeah, my dad died. And then, oh yeah, my mom died. Like it, it weirdly, I was just in survival mode. I hadn't really thought about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you stuff all that down. It sounds like the best advice that you could have got then wasn't about business at all. That's right. That's exactly right. And I sort of didn't see the wisdom right away. I was more bummed out that this guy wasn't going to give me a gig and I, and I was still sort of struggling. <laughs> sure. But I always had this dream because my dad was the kind of guy that would drive cross country into Winnebago, but wouldn't jump on a flight to Paris for six hours. And, um, I always had this dream of, you know, my mom was like a, a sort of devout Catholic person. My dad wasn't, but he carried a lot of guilt with him because he was just a little bit too young to fight in World War II. So all his older friends died and his older relatives died. That's right. That's right. Sure. So he had a weird, I mean, obviously different era, different universe for us now, but really carry that with him. I mean, his whole life, it was like a, and I didn't know this until very, very late that that was an issue for him. So... I decided on this guy's couch, I'm going to do it anyway. So I got their ashes. I got a little Italian Parmesan cheese shaker, which I still have if you visit me in my house someday. And I put their ashes in it and I went to Europe for four months. And I spread their ashes all over. They're on the beaches of Normandy. They're in the Sistine Chapel. Uh, you know, sometimes I had to go a little Shawshank Redemption with it because you're not allowed to spread ashes in the, in the Sistine Chapel. But um, I see what you did there with the pant leg and like. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so. I did this and it was such a cathartic, like physical, actual cathartic experience for me to do this. Like I would kind of do a little web gig. I'd make a couple hundred bucks, a few hundred bucks, and then I'd go to Italy for eight days and then come back and I would get a hustle a little bit more and get a little more cash and, you know, do some business cards for someone and do the same kind of thing. So I could have done that, by the way, forever like that. I could have lived that life. I didn't want to because I didn't want to work with clients anymore, but if I wanted to, if I were like a freelancer and I wanted to stay that way, you can totally freelance around the world. No problem. But uh, neither here nor there. So I came back and I was on my connecting flight from Brussels to Denver, which is where I've lived for 14 years. I had $14, literally, legit $14. Uh, not, I better hit the ATM, but I had $14. You, you, who knows how you're going to have to earn that money, right? Yeah. You know, and a dog, a dog that was, you know, he'd stayed with my friend for three months. And so I was sitting on my brother's guest bed, you know, a couple hours later, and it was like, okay, then what happens? I'm 37, I guess I was, $14, and I had made a pact with myself never to work an hour for a dollar again. That was my, my, my jam, is that I was never going to do that again. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit, because a lot of people are always like, oh, you don't want to trade time for money. You don't want to trade time for money. Why? I don't think a lot of people understand why that's important. I think it's a but, like a cool catchphrase that most people don't really get? Well, for me, I can only speak for me, and for me, dealing with what I dealt with with my parents and feeling like I, I wished I had spent you know, more time with them and some other people I loved, I said, I don't want this deal where you know, I go to work at 
6.30 in the morning and I leave my dog or whoever, whoever you happen to have as a loved one. And then I come back, I, I leave when it's dark, I come home when it's dark. He doesn't know better. And that's it. I have, what, a cut an hour, hour and a half before I have to go to bed and do it again? Is this really what we're supposed to be doing? Right. So for me, I have these sort of three pillars being time freedom, location freedom, and then financial freedom. And if you want the first two, it's really easy. Just go walk in and tell your boss to go fuck himself. Mm-hmm. And then you have time freedom and location freedom if you want to move wherever you want to move. Like, there you go. Then you got to work on that financial freedom part. But I feel like if you have the other two in place, then you can, even if you just chip away at the financial part, that you can have an amazing life and you don't necessarily have to be trading time for money. Right. I think a lot of people realize that but might be just scared to be broke. And I think now for a lot of the guys listening who are single and childless, not so much maybe for the guys who have kids, but if you're single and childless, this is the time to go for it. A lot of guys wait. Oh, no excuse if you're single and childless. Yeah. And, and I get the guys who are like, man, I'd love to do that, but I've got two kids and their mom is crazy or whatever, or I've got a wife and two kids. And for the women listening, I've got to take care of kids because my husband's a useless sack or you know, we're a partnership or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of reasons when there's other people involved, but if you're living for yourself, man, sleep on the floor someplace, bum around, you know, do live now because once you get real responsibility, I mean, you think a dog was responsibility, you, once you get married and have kids, it's gonna be next level. That's right, no, I have none, no kids that I'm aware of. I think even if I do at this point, I feel like it's, it's almost like being unemployable. If I get married and have kids now, I will be sure that I have the right partner that understands that, hey, look, if we're gonna do this, this is how we're going to do it. We're still gonna keep this, this lifestyle as much as we possibly can. Like, I will never be one of those suburbia people anymore. I've done it already. Like, I've already sort of lived in that world. So I think that uh, it's a way, If look, if, if actors and actresses and kids like that can do it, then it's certainly possible for other mortals to do it without, without, you know, too much of a detriment on the kid's, you know, psychological profile. Sure. Well, I mean, how do we start doing that? Like, what if I am at work and I'm thinking, where's the first step to just getting out of this? I mean... Should I really just walk in and quit my job and then figure it out from there? I mean, how do we get started? How do we get the ball rolling? I think that the first thing I would do, uh, there's always steps to follow. There's a strategy for there's, this. There's a strategy for this. The first strategy is arming yourself with knowledge. And I have a set of books I call the Sexy Six that if you have no idea what to do, like if you're sitting there, you're punching the clock, and you're not really sure like what's going on and how you can get into something like this. If you read these books in this specific order, and these are all pretty quick reads, a day or two at the most, like you could polish them all off in two weeks and be a different human on the other side. But you would open up your same front door that you've had for years, but you're going to open up the door to a completely different landscape if you read these books. Sometimes people have read some of them. I like them in this order because they really build on each other in this way. So book number one is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And that will sort of lay out the vocabulary of how wealthy people think about money. Uh, the second book is his second book, which is called The Cash Flow Quadrant. So if, if Rich Dad, Poor Dad is the vocabulary, The Cash Flow Quadrant is sort of speaking in sentences, if you will, about money and finances, how money flows in a successful person's life. Great. And guys, you don't have to write this down. We're going to link these up in the show notes for you. Show so notes. Don't, yeah, don't, don't bust out the the pen while you're driving and try to write it down in your phone <laughs> or something and crash into a bus of school children. Well, you say school children. I always say a bus full of nuns. That's my favorite. Now, if you, can, um, if you crash into a bus full of nuns, 
they're soft and cushy. You'll That's be fine. That's true. It's a good point. Back to the show. Um, anyway, so Rich Dad, Poor Dad, then the Cash Flow Quadrant. Then book three is, uh, of course, the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, which will really ignite your uh, creative brain in terms of how you can start thinking about different business ideas, what kind of things you could even, what are, what are, what's even possible. It's a little teeny bit, you know, like, I don't know how updated it is now, but the concepts are really solid. Um, book number four is the book that if I spoke in front of 500 millionaires and said, what book is, was the most influential on your career? I think most hands would go up for this one. It's called the E-Myth Revisited ah, yes. by Michael Gerber. That is book four. I remember, and there's, I have a very specific story about that book and I'll tell you that in a second. And then book five, and this is a really good one for people because a lot of people don't even know what they're good at yet. And this book is called Strengths Finder 2.0 yeah. by Tom Rath. Yeah, interesting. You should bring that up. And there's a great story in this book. This guy dies. He goes to heaven. He's at the pearly gates and uh, St. Peter's standing there. And he says, all right, well, you know, uh, here you are. Any questions? I mean, now's the time if you want to ask anything. And this the, the newly dead guy says, well, I'm a big war historian. I love to follow the careers of generals and admirals. I love to follow what their strategies were on the battlefield. So can you tell me who was the greatest general of all time? And St. Peter looks at the guy and goes, oh, that's easy. It's that man right over there. And he looks over at the guy and he goes, oh, wait a second. I knew that guy down on earth. He was just a common laborer. And St. Peter says, no, 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 no. He was the greatest general of all time had he been a general. And, and it makes and, you think about what potential you're wasting right. as well. The other example they gave was that is that movie Rudy, right, which everybody loves. It's like this amazing sports movie, this guy redemption he plays on this awesome like uh does an amazing football play like the last play of the game blah blah, blah. and this game is like well, that's great but he's a he had a natural aptitude of a zero in perseverance of a 10 which gives him zero whereas someone like michael jordan would have a perseverance of a 10 and a natural aptitude of a 10 which gives him a hundred so if this dude rudy had spent time his ten thousand hours working on something he had a natural aptitude for he could have cured cancer Right. So, so fuck Rudy. What right. a selfish fuck Rudy in the face. No, uh, so <laughs> it's, uh, we have to just think about, and what's really great about this book is it's based on, it's the one book you have to buy brand new out of this. Yes. Six. Yes. Because there's a half of it is online. And if you get it used, that's right. The joke is on you because the code's <laughs> burned and now the book is useless. That's right. So there's a little code. You got to put the code in and then you take this online test that for me was very gray to gray, like very intentionally. You can't look at the questions and go, oh, this is what society would want me to answer. You have to just like go on instinct and answer it for yourself. And when you're done with that, it spits out your five greatest strengths. And I found them to be uncannily accurate for, for me and the other people that have taken this test. Tell me, when you, I do this with all my coaching clients, and I did this book with my coach as well, and actually more than one of my coaches. And I got one where I was like, that's not me at all. This is a bunch, I don't, you know, the other stuff, fine. This one, I totally don't get. Yeah. And then I went over that with my coach and they were like, actually, I think that is the one that you probably have unexplored. That's your general, but right yes. now you're the laborer. That's your trait that you just don't even see in yourself. Mm -hmm. That is probably your greatest strength that is totally untapped right now. Wow, what was it? Do you remember? It was, yeah, of course. It was... The ability to find others' strengths and help them coalesce into one united force. Oh, so that was, that's coaching. Were you coaching yeah. them? Yeah, and I didn't see that at the time, though. 
not only was it you coaching, but it's you as a podcaster. Yeah, it totally is. It totally <laughs> like is. that is what you do. But when I read that, I was like, Psh, I don't do that. And the, yeah. my coach was like, are, are you joking right now? Because we we're on the phone. He's like, I can't see your face. So I'm not sure if you're serious. Because he's mm. like, this is the first one that I would have picked for you, which I wow, thought was hilarious because I'm, de I'm definitely very self-aware. But on this one, I had a total blind spot. It'd be interesting to take it again now you know, five years later for me and see if it, the answers would, would link up. Do it, man. I bet you that they will be the same or you might find one shade of difference and that mm, might be your yeah. general. That might be your general right there. Yeah. Well, mine was activator, achiever, ideation, futuristic, and command. Those are my five. Interesting. Yeah, Those are good. it's good. Anyway, so that's book number five. And then book number six was sort of a, for a while it was a bonus book. And then I decided that, look, if you're going to do anything online, if your job or your career, the thing you come up with involves you representing yourself online and learning how to do that correctly, you really have to read this, which is, of course, Crush It by Gary Vee. Vaynerchuk. He's, Vaynerchuk. He's, he's the first guy to, he articulated the correct way to speak to uh, an audience online and sort of sell them without selling them. If, if that makes any sense. And, of course and it does. The one I always refer to is, uh, you should link up to this in the show notes too, is the scene from When Harry Met Sally, the diner scene. So Billy Crystal and, and Meg Ryan are sitting in the diner and he says, I can always tell when a woman fakes it. And she's like, oh really? And so then she gives the biggest unbelievable fake orgasm performance of a lifetime in the middle of this diner. And she's like wailing the table. Yes, yes, yes. And then do you remember the next thing that yeah, happened the, in that this scene? this old woman goes, that's right. And I'll have what she's having. What was that supposed to mean? Nothing. It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them, and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math. You don't think that I can tell a difference? No. Get out of here. Oh. 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 Are you okay? Oh. Oh, God. Ooh. Oh, God. Oh. 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 Oh, God. Oh, yeah, right there. Oh. 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 Oh, God. She's having. That's right. And you know, funny factoid about that, that was not in the original script. That actress, that extra, just randomly said that. Oh, after you're that. kidding not me. Not joking. I mean, that could wow. be bullshit, but I read that. If you watch that scene, think about how uncannily accurate that is to how consumers, you know, buy products, right? They see someone else having a great experience with something and not knowing them at all. It doesn't really matter. They just see the great experience and say, I want that. 
I want what that is. Well, Whatever ad- she's got. Advertisers know this, right? That's, That's why right. you see infomercials, and any commercial for that matter, where the person's like, oh, I'm in black and white, and it's so hard to use this gumball machine, <laughs> but then right. I'm smiling and in color, and look at this really easy gumball thing that I can buy right now, and it arrives right. overnight. Yeah. yeah, that's right, the Gumball 2000. Uh, we do the same thing at restaurants every day. You know, Our friend gets a dish, and we're like, oh, man, that looks amazing. I want one of those. When you think about that, that's kind of how um, the correct way to market online versus if Sally or Meg Ryan had walked around uh, saying, eat this or eat this thing or eat this thing or eat this, like, you know, have my plate of food. People would be like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. Thanks. But to see her experience that plate of food, even though it wasn't wasn't really a plate of food, but we're meant to think it was. So anyway, um, those six books are the, I mean, they will redefine how it is you, you think about your outside world. And that's the first step is arming yourself with knowledge. Excellent. So those books are amazing resources. So arm yourself with knowledge. And then how do we get over the fear of actually taking action on this because there's a lot of people out there that are have read every single book around in their spare time at their day job that they still haven't gotten rid of. That's right. I have this thing called the eight steps to becoming a successful solopreneur. Surround yourself with the people that are doing the thing that you want to do. So if you want to be a podcaster, get thee to a podcast seminar. If you want to be a designer, you know, join every single Facebook group for designers. Join, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of this. I've just recently purchased my first big boy watch. I, the only thing I knew about this watch is that this company sponsored Porsche in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, this was Hoyer, so pre-Tag, so it was just a Hoyer watch. Yeah. Tag was late to the party, apparently. Tag came in 84, 85, I think. And so this is, you know, the, but Hoyer has been around for years and years and years. So I wanted this sort of pre-tag Hoyer because it's on brand. You know, it's like the Carrera is the is the watch. The only thing I knew about it is that it was in my my Pinterest vision board. Like that was all I really you're, knew. You're the only guy I know that uses Pinterest or that admits that admits he uses Pinterest. Oh, I love Pinterest. It's cool. Like when I have a big purchase, I was trying to find a race car. And so I was Googling a bunch of stuff. Whenever I would find a cool car that I liked, I would just pin it. So I had like all these potential race cars to choose from. And it was a good place for a resource. Anyway. So, um, and plus I use it for my show. I have Pinterest images for every single one of the shows I put out. Oh, that's cool. I had pinned a watch by Hoyer and then months later I pinned another one and without even realizing it, I pinned the same model watch. Like it was basically the same one, slightly different watch, but same face and same everything. And I said, okay, this must be the one I need. Like this is the watch I'm supposed to get. It's calling your name. It is calling my name. And so I didn't know anything about it. So I recently, when it came time that I could finally pull the trigger on it, I joined the Vintage Hoyer Chronograph group on Facebook. I found every single website that had anything to do with selling these or talking about these and the history of them. I watched YouTube videos on what they were and how they worked and what the history was. This is a very Steve McQueen era, and this is kind of what he, he was a Hoyer guy. So I really got into the background. So when it came time for me to buy this thing, I could speak the language. I could be like, okay, is, it, what, is this the caliber 11 movement? Is it the caliber 12? Is it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so you do that when you have a new endeavor. If you want to become a podcaster, do that exact same thing. Find all of the resources out there for podcasters and start integrating. Like start asking people questions, start offering whatever value you have. 
And sometimes when you're brand new, the value is when you're asking these questions, you're getting these people that are totally involved in it. You give them a chance to show their expertise. Like that's in a way how you can help them with their value. So don't be afraid to ask questions and kind of dig into it. What you'll find though is that sooner than later, you're going to, something's going to pop up and you're going to go, oh, you know what? I could probably do this something X, Y, Z as a business. And when that time comes, you then have this resource of all these people, you know, the people are going to rise to the top and you're going to go, oh, wait a second. This guy, Jordan is, he's amazing. Like he's, he knows all about X, Y, Z. So they're going to private message you personally and say, Hey, what do you think about this, 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 to which you then say, Oh, I've got this great resource. That's a coaching program or, you know, a seminar I'm going to be speaking at or whatever. And that's how that person who's brand new again, gets to level up one more time. And now they're rolling with the people that are doing this stuff. And that's really when things get shifting because that's when doors open for you and that's when opportunities come. Excellent. But yeah. here's the real question though. So after we've gotten all those resources, how do we take the first step? Because it's really easy to over-prepare like a bastard and never do shit. You're right. The uh, I have a lot of coaching clients. I have about 85 coaching clients and most of them are pretty good action takers. I would say that the that's because they've already taken the action to get that's in your right. coaching program. That's right. So you're self-selecting. But what about the that's guy right. who's like, I'm going to call, I'm going to call Mike O'Neill tomorrow and never. And he's been saying that for three years. There's a couple of instances where I don't recommend taking total instant action, but you've got to really take imperfect action. You have to literally start. And it doesn't matter if it's not perfect. It doesn't matter if it's crashes and burns. Even by the virtue of the fact that you did whatever it is, let's say you were going to do a, I just had somebody on the show that just murders it with Amazon. Like, so his business model, again, not knowing anything about anything a few years ago, there's ways you can search for what people are looking for on Amazon and on eBay and things like that. So let's take, since we're talking watches, a really hip move is to take a very expensive vintage watch or even a new watch and put like a $12 NATO band on it. And a NATO band is like a, usually a solid color or striped vinyl uh, wristband. And uh, James Bond, one of the Bond movies made it famous. So you've got this amazing, you know, $10,000 watch with this $12 band on it. Yeah, what's a, I've seen that. And it's always yeah. like shocking to me. Like, why did you? Yeah. Why? Watch guys will have one, you know, they'll have a watch, but they'll have 10 different bands for it depending on the, the, you know, if they're wearing brown or wearing black or they're, you know, casual. Like if I had a vintage Rolex and I was going to the beach, I would totally throw a NATO band on it. It's going to keep the watch more secure, A. It's not going to ruin any leather because it's going to dry off and it's a, you know, a diver's watch or something. Plus it's like, really? You've got a Rolex with a 12 dollars That's cool. You know, like there's something about that. I thought, when, so when I got this new watch, I said, man, I really want to get a few bands. And I found that they are all hundreds of dollars like you know these good bands are 120 dollars each and you, you want six or seven bands all of a sudden you're in like you, you're talking real money i thought god there'd be a this would be a really cool market to be able to find some great bands around the world and just make a website or sell on amazon at a huge discount and i could totally make a business out of that if i wanted to um i don't but i could yeah that sounds dreadfully boring but somebody out there's like right. oh my god i totally that would be amazing well, I think when you coach people, like I have a guy that's really good at, he can get someone's video podcast on the Roku box. Like that's one of the things he can do really easily. It's not that complicated of a process, but for someone who's busy and putting out a video podcast, they don't have time to dig into all that. 
Yeah, ain't nobody he, got time for that. Yeah, they can pay a guy two hundred bucks, and he gives them the soup to nuts, you know, set up, and now they've now now they can reach out on their show and say, guess what, guys? If you have a Roku, we have a channel, we have a Solopreneur Hour channel or whatever, and you can listen to it. And that would be cool. That's another sort of weird business idea, and there are infinite kinds of those yes. business ideas. You can literally think of just about anything. So you got to find that thing that you love. I always like to say, find the thing that you can bore someone off their stool about. Like we start talking about, you know, X, Y, or Z. And for me, I have a few of those, but I can ramble on for hours about technical details. And, you know, let's talk about car racing. I'll, I'll, you'll die before I'm done. It's like, whatever that is for you, whether it's underwater basket weaving or, or something more exciting, there's somewhere in there, there's a way that you can make money with it. And, and so there are the business ideas, but again, how to get people to become an action taker. I, mean, I, I, I don't know if there's a, a clear answer, if you have a clear answer to that. It's, all we can do is encourage people, right? But we can't change who you are by having you consume passive information. Yeah, you're right. It's easy to overlearn. Yes, I did that in the beginning. I remember reading social psychology and stuff like that and using the skills in networking and just crushing it and making great opportunities with people. And then it was like, AJ, my business partner and uh, co-host on the show would be like, dude, you should just, you've got great skills with people and developing relationships. Just go talk to those girls and use what I taught you because he was fantastic with women and still is. And, you know, apply this stuff. This is eight years ago. And I'd be like, I'm going to go ahead and not do that at all and read another book about <laughs> this. Right. Because it's fear that stops Failure you. Failure to launch. Yeah, exactly. And so once you're over learning, you're over preparing, you're going for it and, or you're going for the knowledge, but you're not going for action because you're afraid of failure. You know, it's fear that stops you. I think baby steps are a great thing, but sometimes it's impossible to take baby steps, especially with a business. I mean, what if, and I'm just spitballing here, what if we just go out with our, the expectation that our first venture is probably going to fail and that's totally okay, and that's the idea. They always say fail forward, right, or fail forward fast, which is at least, you're, at least you've done something. I wouldn't recommend like emptying out your bank accounts for the first venture. You know, it's, it's also really easy for us to, there's so many courses and so many people that are sort of, leaders and experts in the field of whatever it is that have courses and you feel like you're furthering your brand and your career by just taking course after course after course after course. And at some point you're like, dude, you've got to pull the trigger on something. You have to actually start financing one of these things. And so when I, I was sitting on my brother's guest bed, I didn't know what I was going to do. And, I, and two things happened. One is that night I met a guy that they actually did a lot of what I was just speaking about, about this guy from Amazon. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, look where it's raining. And uh, I put down a tarp. And I thought, wow, what a douchey answer to that question. As I would learn, he would scour, you know, he would do tons of keyword research when there was, you know, such things as you could really make money with Google AdWords. And he would find what people were already searching for. And then he would go to Asia and find products to fit that gap and he would bring a container full of them and would bring them to a fulfillment house and he would make like five grand a day on like weight loss tea or something like that. Oh, that's a little scammy. The point is, no matter what the product is, the methodology was very sound. Yes, um, of course. He was a sure. bit of a scammy kind of douchey guy, I think. But from a business, I mean, he's friends with Tim Ferriss. He's got like a crazy in Tim's like mastermind group called uh, Mavericks or whatever it is. And it's oh, like okay. a, 
He's just, he's a guy that looks at trends. You look at the top three trends of, you know, Google, it's work from home, start your own business and weight loss. Those are the three. So it's like, you know, why not fill at least one of those gaps of what he was doing? So, and he was willing to go the extra mile, which is why he did so well. So I learned a bit about internet marketing itself from him. And then right after I read the E-Myth Revisited, um, literally sitting there, I thought, you know, that whole concept of becoming your own franchise, that's kind of what the book is about is, is treating every small business like it's the flagship of a franchise. I thought that's kind of what network marketers do is like, if you get into a good network marketing company and you like the product, you like it and you use it, then all you do is duplicate yourself. And that's sort of how it works. Certainly there's good eggs and bad eggs. But for me, I, and I had a couple friends that were in that world. I said, let me, let me look into that. And one week later, this is part of me being the yes man. One week later, I was at this company's rah-rah event in Anaheim, not knowing anything about anything. It was a health and wellness company. I was like, all right, what's the product and how do I sell it? And I, what I got was this unbelievable and sort of family atmosphere that I didn't expect. And it was exactly what I needed, judging from my current situation. So I had this incredible ride where I was connected with this company for three years. And instantly I became successful because I knew what... Gary Vaynerchuk articulated, I knew exactly how to use social media to grow my business. And I did it so quickly that the higher ups at the company stopped me in the hallway one day at a, an event and they said, we've been watching what you've been doing. Would you be willing to share that with the rest of the field? And I was like, sure. So uh, I created this thing called the Social Media Roadshow and traveled to 17 different cities and I talked to uh, you know rooms and sometimes big rooms full of the people from this company and taught them how to use social media to grow their business. And that's the first time that I'd ever gone, oh, wait a second. I kind of find my swing doing this stuff. Like this is really me teaching from stage and giving people the aha moments and about a subject I know inside and out. Like this is really cool. I could do this all day. And that's kind of, that was the first evolution of what would eventually become my show because I met a guy at that company that, was a killer public speaker, but had no, he was a huge fish in a tiny little pond. And I said, dude, we could probably grow your brand in a very global way. And he said, how do we do that? And I said, we should start a podcast. And he said, what's a podcast? And I'm like, well, it's like a radio show. This was 2000, 2012, by the way. Sure. Yeah. Welcome to the party. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. And we launched this thing. It was called the Kick-Ass Life with David Wood. And, um, I had done, I was still, by the way, an employee, essentially. I'd run this business. I was still working from home. But for him, he spoke into the mic and I did everything else. I did all of the production. I did all of the design and branding and web stuff and social media and all the stuff. And my gig at that time was I'm going to go and speak to professional speakers, like big ones, Les Brown and, and Jack Canfield and things like that. And if they want to start a podcast, I'm going to set them up. I'll set up a studio in their house. I'll teach them how to do it. I'll teach them the vernacular and how to integrate with their website and do everything you're supposed to do. And they're going to pay me money for it. That was going to be my gig. And I worked with David for, we were partners in that company for uh, almost two years. And then we had a, you know, a, some weirdness. <laughs> it was, we couldn't, we, we didn't monetize quickly enough for, sure. for my tastes. And I had a percentage of the company. So I'm like, if I'm monetizing for, you know, X percent of zero isn't helping me out right now. Right. Yeah. Thanks for my giant share of absolutely jack shit. Yes. That's kind of how it turned out. So David was climbing uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. So he was totally off the grid. I couldn't reach anybody else to, to jump in and guest host. So I did a show. And two things happened. One, I found it uh, incredibly easy. 
and natural. You know, Mike was there. Okay. Chatted, did a show, uh, taught all about social media. I did basically the same thing I do in my training course and, um, and have like, you know, okay, this is cool. And then I ended up getting tons of great feedback from it. Uncannily natural for me. And I think that's what happens when you listen to Howard Stern and stand up comedy your whole life. Like you just kind of know how to do that. And so that was in the back of my mind. And, um, I had just launched version 3.0 of my social media training course, which is like this video thing. And instead of just saying for network marketers, I was, I was saying for solopreneurs, because ultimately anytime you hire a business, but you're getting a person, whether it's real estate or a massage therapist or a personal trainer or a network marketer, that's a solopreneur. That's the people that I like to speak to. And they all, the, the way they have to market their business is all basically the same. A few months later, I said, all right, I'm going to launch the Solopreneur Hour. I'm going to highlight these people that have had these incredible careers and show people one way or the other how these guys put their pants on the same way they do, you know, which is standing on their head and, and twisted and upside down. And since then, we launched in August of uh, 2013, so just 10 months ago, and uh, rapidly approaching my millionth download. Uh, which is crazy to think of already. That and, is crazy. Uh, and never thought in a million years that I'd be doing private coaching. And I have group coaching of, with about 75 people. I have about five or six private coaching clients and you know thousands of dollars in advertising that has come in and continues to come in every month. So this thing monetized to a very healthy six-figure business in really seven months is when that happened. And that was sort of the crazy path to where I am now. That's excellent. And so taking action, obviously, not something we can sort of transfer. But I think through your story and through other guys that we talked to here, guys can say, hey, you know what? This might not be overnight success, but the rewards are high. The risk can be low if you mitigate, especially if you don't put all your eggs in one basket. And failing is okay. Getting there over time is okay. And honestly, there is no better way to live once you see the sun over the horizon. <laughs> it's true. The taking action, th- I mean, it, it's one of those things that you can't, teach. It's that, you know, a few months ago, I was walking around a local soccer field and I saw these kids who were probably like age nine to 13 and they were running around the perimeter of the field, which is something we always hated when we were in, you know, whatever soccer. Taking a lap. Right. They were taking a lap. And there's the kid that's in front and he's going for it. And then there's the, the kid that's in back. It's just dragging. And it's like, I remember stopping and going, wow, you cannot teach hustle. You just can't. And the coach was watching and I looked over and I said that to him. I goes, man, you can't teach hustle, can you? He's like, you know, you never can. And you wonder about that. It's like these people that listen to this, they've gone through these steps. They've read the books. They've taken a couple of courses. They've surrounded themselves with these people that are doing what they want to do. They've gone to the seminars. They have the idea what possibly could stop you. I, I will tell you one little story is that 10 days before I launched my show, I was hit by a car. Uh, Sorry, it, it's not funny, but no, you, it is. It, it's like kind of it is. I think I've had a couple of near death. This one is was as close as I've had to near death. I was on my bike. I was going about thirty miles an hour down a hill. Car comes up next to me, literally rams me. I'm just sideswipes me, takes me out, takes off. No way! Didn't even stop. Oh my it was, god! It was intentional. It was a uh, this guy. I don't know if he was trying to move me over or what was trying to happen. But oh shit! I didn't have a helmet on. I was going to Redbox to get a movie. Um, it was nothing. Dude, gotta get Netflix, man. Never leave the house. Netflix, but it was a you know sometimes you need the real ones. So oh man, it was it was anything but an accident. And so 
I ended up with a broken collarbone. My body was trashed. I mean, I had road rash. I'm at 30 miles an hour wearing shorts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's gnarly. I, I hit my head uh. so hard. It was just, it was sketchy for a while. They didn't know if there was a brain bleed. It was a whole thing. So Jesus. I was in, in this state where people would come visit me and I'd have a conversation with them and we'd be talking just like this. And two minutes later, I'd be dead asleep for an hour. And that's because I, we counted 19 spots on my body that needed to heal, not including my collarbone, like rash type areas. So my body was kind of like, hey, dude, if you, what do you want the energy for? You want the energy to heal or do you want it to chat? And so it was like, all right, we're going to heal now. And then it just would shut down everything else in my body and I would just go to sleep, which is why people in hospitals rest, presumably, because your body's really got to work on this stuff. And so I had a couple shows in the can. I wanted 12. I wanted a month worth of shows. I had four. And I had no idea how I was going to get any more interviews or what I was going to do. But I said, damn it, I promised I was going to launch in August. So I'm going to launch. So I launched August 23rd. I could barely sit up vertically to do interviews. And I ended up having to make some cobbled together kind of interview thing and go between drugs. Like I had to lay off the Vicodin when I was going to do an interview. Or you would have had an interesting shows, yeah, where you, <laughs> exactly. you kind of slur your questions out. And yeah, yeah. You know what you could have done is just made the guest drink a ton and made it, everyone would just thought, <laughs> man, these guys drink a lot. Yeah, yeah. three shots. But, but the point of that was I had one week and one day of shows available to me. I launched anyway because I said, you know what, what's better, me not doing it and just continuing to postpone it or me doing it maybe imperfectly and not having exactly the experience I want, you know, want people to have. But I'm out there. And all that happened was the show blew the fuck up. That's what happened. And it gave me so much more encouragement to continue to go. And, you know, now I'm at 126 episodes. Or maybe we already did yours, did we? We already did. We already I'm did already it. out, Sorry, man. I'm you're already out. I forget. They all blend, don't they? Point is, is that I could have easily given that. I had a legit excuse to not do it. And I said, fuck it, I'm doing it. I'm putting the show out. It is something I've been working on. It's something I'm proud of. I've got to do this. So at some point, I, don't, I run out of pity for people that just don't take some action on it. I can't tell you to take action other than just take action. <laughs> Please. Yeah, it's what separates it. the, the haves from the never will be's, I think. I think you're right about it. It's the ability slash willingness to take yeah, action. You're right. I, what do they say? Less than 3% or less than 1% of people ever do it. So you got to do it. It's importante. Well, thanks so much, Michael. Is there anything you want to leave us with? I think we're probably good, eh? I, I think we've covered at least the, the, the actionable items, but we need to do another show where we just talk about guy stuff. I want to talk about charming things. And where to get snake, snake charmers on Amazon, $5,000 a day. Is how we, that's how we keep the lights on around here. <laughs> that's right. That's we're how you selling, roll. We're selling yeah. those little plastic recorders on Amazon. You would not believe how many people are just searching for those things. Yes. Yes. But anyway, thank you, dude. It was really cool to, to be on and, uh, and high five to all your people. My pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Really interesting how over-preparation can act as a substitute for action and keep us from trying and failing and, of course, learning and doing. I really think that taking action separates the haves from the never-will-be's, and people who are going to get it done will always at least start something, even if they're going to fail. And I think a lot of our beliefs and our, our whole lives are determined by how much courage and how much we're able to force ourselves to pull the trigger and just make it happen. I talked in other shows about how 
life is a constant battle between rationalization and action. And I think this might even be kind of a fine point when it comes to that. Hope you guys enjoyed the rest of this, especially the three pillars of freedom and the sexy six books. Those should give you the knowledge. Now go out there and do something. Due to popular demand, we got fashion tips from my man Aaron Marino from imalphaM.com. He's going to be dropping some knowledge on us to learn how to dress our best. All right, here's the thing. I was watching The Daily Show, and they were making fun of Dockers. I used to love Dockers, but I also realized that was like 15 years ago. And now khakis and Dockers and things like that are, are super uncool, right? Uh, okay, so let me preface this by saying all khakis were definitely not created equal. Okay. You know, the khakis that my dad wears or my, that your math teacher wear, yeah, definitely not cool. They're baggy, they're, they're pleated, they're usually cuffed, and they are synonymous with Dockers. But Dockers, a lot of these other companies like The Gap and Anna Republic, they're making modern fit khakis. You know, they're, they're a nicer fabric, they're not quite that super heavy cotton like the old school khakis and they're they're doing a lot more with with fit and tailoring. And so, you know, just because you might be wearing khakis for a business casual look, you know, it might be consistent in your office, but you can definitely step up your game by wearing a pair that fits you and looks incredible. So, my real problem, I guess, with a lot of khakis is they have these like pleats in the front that sort of puff out and make you look like your hips are really wide. You know what I'm talking about? And if that's the look you're going for, it it works and it's perfect. If you want to look pear-shaped, wear pleats. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Go flat front, no cuff. Um, you know, it's funny. Some guys will be like, oh, if you're tall, you can wear pleats. If you're you know short, you shouldn't wear pleats. In my opinion, everybody looks better in flat front pants. It doesn't matter if you're six foot seven. The fact is it's a cleaner, more consistent, concise look, and it's just less busyness that's breaking up the eye when somebody looks at you. So go flat front, non-cuffed, fitted khakis. It's nice. Way to go. Good. So all khakis were not created equal. Good to know. So ditch the old pleats and get yourself some new ones. Absolutely. For more from Aaron Marino, search for Alpha M on YouTube or go to imalphaM.com. Solid show as usual, if I do say so myself. Show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know at jordanh at theartofcharm.com. Bootcamp details, that's our live training at theartofcharm.com. And that's also where you can find links to us on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, then that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for the Art of Charm podcast or by going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and clicking subscribe. That's it. You guys can also help us if you subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher. Give us a five-star rating and write something nice. We'll love you forever. Just go to iTunes.com slash theartofcharm and it'll take you right there. When you write us a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily and get the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing training from us. So tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything better than you found it. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 